You're listening to the weekly podcast of the services at Stonegate Fellowship Church in Midland, Texas. For more information about Stonegate, visit StonegateFellowship.com. Begins to create everything in Genesis chapter 1. And it's absolutely amazing, right? We're familiar with the story, although uh, so many times we just blow through the creation part and go right to Genesis chapter 3 because... You know, it seems like that's where the action happens, and and there's maybe not a lot of dispute about Genesis chapter 3, but boy, there seems to be a whole lot of dispute about Genesis chapter 1 as to whether we actually are going to get on board with the idea that God said, let there be light, and let's build this, and let me make animals, and let me make plants, and and, um, I'm, I'm creating all this thing in a moment's time. And I believe, without getting on my hobby horse about it, that it's critical for us, and you may have heard me say this before, what we believe about God and his creation. Because I believe that it sets a foundation for us that if we believe that we're actually created, then it sets us in motion as to how we treat other people. Opposed to the idea that many of us were taught in school that really, you know, that's really not how it happened. And I'm not going to get... I'm. I'm stepping aside from the hobby horse that I know I can get on right now and just saying the opposite sets us also in a path of how we treat people when we think, no, this is all just a mistake that happened. No plan, no purpose, no creator. It just happened and we happened to be, somehow we came out as the best of all the creation. Whatever, yeah, right, okay, so... um, So God creates the plants and the animals and all that kind of stuff. And as he continues to create, you know, he goes and he creates these beings in his image. I won't spend a lot of time, but he creates humans in his image. And then he goes one step further and he takes the humans and he divides them in two, right? He creates this this overarching human thing that didn't used to be there. And then when he creates them, he creates them in two different capacities, male humans and female humans. And we've talked about that in the past, about the differences there and on purpose by God. And when you bring male and female together is when you get a complete picture of who God is because the male world does not describe him completely, nor does the female world describe him completely. It's the two of them coming together. But then the thing he does after that is he takes that male and that female and he gets even deeper into who they are with specific giftings and abilities and, and talents and missions that he gives us to do because we, I believe and, and I think you guys believe that he put his, us here on purpose, right? And, and for a purpose. And, and Patrick read Psalm 139 or a piece of it uh, last week, and, and the scriptures tells us that God knew us, right, in our mother's womb, and he formed us, and we're fearfully and wonderfully made, and he's not, I don't believe he's just talking about our physical bodies, that he's looked at each one of us, and he said, I made you for this, I made you for this, I made you for this on purpose, and so it, it's really, there's this thing that God is doing, and, and I want to read you a, a few verses um, And then, like, as always, we'll see how many verses I can get to before I run out of time today. But in chapter 1, verse 26, God said, Let us, the Trinity, make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. 
God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created a male and female to be different. And then it goes on to say that God blessed them and said to them, here's the deal, I made you. Now be fruitful and multiply. After you, you're gonna rule over everything I just made and I want you to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and you're in charge of everything. And so the job sounds simple enough, right? Work, eat, and play. Work, and then everything is there for you to eat and then there's Eve, (laughs) Let's play, right? I mean, that's what, that's what you would think it'd be simple enough. And uh, we know the rest of the story, but that's not where I want to go. I, I want us to stop for just a second. And because when, and I won't go there, but chapter two, verse seven and on, it, go, it talks about how God specifically formed Adam from the dirt. And then he formed Eve from Adam. And because it wasn't good for a man to be alone, so he gave her, him a counterpart, an equal, a someone to, to, to make him complete in, in, as far as that goes and to show who he is. And um, it, it talks about that whole story. But uh, what I really want to, I guess, land here on is the fact that after God has done all this, we know what happens but prior to knowing what happens, there seems to be this sense of, did they have any idea what was at stake? Did they have any idea um, what, God, what had already happened or what God had done up to that point, what he really made them for, what, what was at stake if they didn't pay attention I mean, yeah, they, they, he said that they would die, but I mean, there's a whole lot more at stake than that, right? He didn't tell completely the whole story. He, didn't, he said you would not die. He didn't. He left out the part that, oh, and the whole race that comes behind you is in big trouble also. And so I don't think they had complete clarity. Just like you're not having complete clarity, I can see it on your face of what I'm trying to say right now. Because what I'm really, like I said, I'm... I'm a little jumbled, but we're going to get there. The idea that God had made them specifically, on purpose, for purpose, this is what I want you to do. But in the background, they really didn't have a, a complete clue of what he was up to. You know, I've said this before and, and probably here. When I look at life, when I watch how things happen, when I see how accurate some of the wounds that we take are in our life, I, I, ha- I can only explain what happens one way, and I've said, like I said, I've said it before, it's almost like when we're born, God holds us up and says, to each individual and says, hey, I want everybody to know, this is Joe, and this is what I made him to do. These are his giftings. These are his abilities. This is the purpose for which I created Joe. He wasn't just, you know, a few seconds of pleasure. There was purpose with him. And so, you know, I, I can't prove that. But I don't know how else to explain how the things that seem to come at our lives to keep us from our purpose are so accurate in our lives. To where men live a great portion of their lives and women too, not realizing their real purpose because of something else that's gotten in the way. Does that make sense? 
Okay. And so I, I don't know exactly how that works except to say it seems like there's information out there about who we are and what we're made to be. And, um, and then the enemy has a field day with it. Turn, if you will, to the book of Job with me quickly. And um, we're going to look in chapter one. And again, I'm just paraphrasing some things. I'm trying to just bring some of this stuff out. That Job in chapter one, you know, it's pretty clear he's a good man who is about to have a pretty bad day. It says there in verse one, there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was blameless, upright, fearing God, and turning away from evil. And then it goes over in the verse 13. I won't read all this to you, but it says, It happened on, that, on, on the day, or on one day, when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, that a messenger came and said, Boom, the oxen are feeding, and this, they attacked him, and they slew all your servants. While he was speaking... Another messenger comes and says, fire fell from heaven and burned up the sheep. While he was still speaking, another one came and said, three bands and made raids on the camels and took them and slew the servants. While he was still speaking, another one came. Your sons and daughters were eating and blah, blah, blah. And behold, a great wind came from across the wilderness, struck the house and fell on the young people and they all died. And, and there's this situation that all he knows right now is that his life is falling apart. He's not aware of, of verses 6 through 12, which is key, I think. He knows I'm a good man, and now everything's falling apart, but what he doesn't know is verses 6 through 12, where there's this conversation between God and Satan, and Satan throws the gauntlet down. He throws the challenge down and says, oh yeah, of course Job loves and serves you. <laughs> You blessed the daylights out of him. Of course, what else would he do? And God says, no, it's not like that. He really is a heart that loves me. And so the gauntlet goes down and God allows him to be tested. He's not aware of, of what's about to happen. He's not aware in chapter two after he, the first round of the hell that's about to continue to come at him because it goes from those things around him to actually the things of his, of his physical body that he's being attacked with, right? And he's also not aware of chapter 42 where the scripture says when they when, that he was restored twofold for everything that he had lost. Obviously, he can't get the original set of children back but it says that the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he prayed for his friends and the Lord increased all that Job had twofold. And the Lord blessed the latter days of Job and he had the same amount of children all over again. And Job lived 140 years and saw his sons and grandsons four generations and Job died an old man full of days. And so I want to say that there was so much more going on and this is really, I guess, my theme. In Genesis, or Adam and Eve, there's a plan, but there's so much more going on that they didn't have any clue about. In Job, there's this stuff that's going on. It's Job's life 
but there's so much else going on that he doesn't know about. He doesn't know about, like I said, the conversation. He doesn't know what God's allowing or why he's allowing it. He doesn't know, and, and maybe this sounds like last week, but it's different to me. He doesn't know about the end result. He doesn't know what's going to happen at the end. And all of that affects how we move through life, right? I mean, this is, this is what God's told me to do in Genesis 1. I'm going to go do that. I, but I, I don't realize the consequences of, of decisions that I make because I don't know what is actually going on, the big picture. And here, the bad things are coming at me and I can't make sense of it because I'm a good man and I don't understand why they're happening or what the end result is going to be that God is going to bring it all together somewhere down the road. Turn, turn back one book to the book of Esther. And I'll try not to get you, well, I shouldn't be moving all over the place after this. But it's another story that comes to mind to me as I'm thinking, man, so much going on behind the scenes that people are not aware of. And I don't know where this came from me, but it's, like I said, it's why it's come to me this week, but it's so bubbling up inside this idea of this bigger thing that's happening. We live in a much bigger realm than we understand, and you've heard me say that before, but the reality of there's so much else going on. Oh my, don't, don't get too focused over here. Don't lose heart. Don't get too excited about different things because there's, there's things that have happened that play into this and things will happen that play into our world. And, and even right now, and it's not all difficult things. I'm not saying that, oh, just in the midst of bad times, God's working. No, in the midst of the good times, all the time there's things going on that we're not aware of. And I don't know if I'm trying to tell you, man, you better stay close to him, in touch, so you know what the next step is. I'm not sure if that's what I'm trying to tell you, but maybe that's what he's trying to say. Um, let's look at Esther quickly, and, and, and really, it's kind of cool. In the beginning of this book, all the king knows is that his wife is not cooperating with his plans. Never heard of such a thing ever before. Um, and that does not look good for his ego. And so his decision is, I'm the king, you're not cooperating with my plans, so therefore, I'm done with you. You are no, can no longer be the queen because, man, I'm the king, and if you're not gonna go along with my plans, then you know, you're making me look bad in front of all my peers. And so... In the midst of this, when there's about to be a new queen, right? There's a family who's exiled into this place where the king lives. They're not from there. In fact, they're not even the same. Um, well, they're Jews, right? They're not what these guys are. They're different. They have a different way of living. They, they serve a different God, and they think differently, but here they are, and they're exiled there and trying to do life as best as possible. 
And and we see in chapter two that there was uh, now there in chapter in verse five at the citadel of Susa, a Jew whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jer, the son of Shimei or Shimei, I guess, the son of Kish, a Benjamite. He had been taken in, into exile from Jerusalem with the captives who had been exiled with all those guys, king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had exiled. And really what I want you to get to is this where he was bringing up Hadassah, that is Esther, his uncle's daughter, for she had neither father nor mother. Now the young lady was beautiful of form and face, and when her father and her mother died, Mordecai took her as his own daughter. And as we go through the whole process of the king finding a wife, we find out that all the virgins of the town would be, would be passed in front of him for him to say, hmm, who, who might I choose as my new king or my new queen? And, and it just so happens that in verse 17, it says that the king loved Esther more than any of them. And I sit and I say, isn't that interesting? Out of everybody, the person that's not supposed to be there is the one who he says, I can't get my eyes off of you. You are the most, you, uh, you are the one I want to be my next queen. And so they go through the whole process and, and, uh, and she becomes the queen and then, and then we enter the enemy, right? In chapter three, verses eight and nine, and his name is Haman. And, and through a series of events, Haman is, upset with Mordecai and the Jewish race. And he just wants to wipe them out. And, and when you study this a little bit, you realize that if he had wiped them out at that point, they would be no longer. It would be over with for that race, which means in turn that we would have no reason to be here today because that means that the Messiah would not have been able to come as planned because that's what he came through, right? The nation of Israel... That's where he came. And so that's why you see all through the scriptures why Israel's beat up all the time. That people are coming after them all the time because the enemy knows if I can stop this nation, I stop the Messiah. I stop the promises of God because they're integral in everything that God has planned. And yes, he moves to the church to use the church, but there's still no denying that Israel is a huge place in God's economy and how things work. And so Haman enters, goes to the king and says, I don't like these people. They don't pay attention. And I think we should just wipe them off the face of the earth. And I'm thinking the king, he doesn't really care much anyway. And so he says, okay, go do whatever you want to do. And Mordecai gets the, the, the wind of it. And Esther rallies the, this, the place of position that she has and goes in to speak to the king. All she knows is that there's all of a sudden there's no hope for her people. And once again, God is doing things behind the scenes and has been doing them up to this point to bring her to the place where she's at so that she can walk in, so that the king does accept her, so that she can say, uh, sweetheart, you know, this, this isn't right. You know, that isn't exactly how she says it, but she goes through there and the king says, oh, well, let's, you know, let's take care of that. 
And there's two classic quotes that come in this book. When Mordecai says to Esther, maybe you have been brought to the kingdom just for this purpose. Maybe all this that you've been through has been to get you to this place because God wanted to use you in this thing. Although you've had bad things, you're exiled. Oh no, that must have been horrible. I'm not in my home, I'm here. And then you've had good things. Hey, I'm the queen. I mean, she could have honestly said, Mordecai, I love you and I love our people, but I'm the queen. I am not going to risk giving that up or losing that because because of this. But then the next great quote that she talks about, so the first one is about, you know, maybe the providence of God. Maybe God brought you to this place on purpose just for this. And then the second one is the fact that she says, I will go into the king and if I perish, I perish. And we say, what, what courage is that that she's had? And so once again, some things are going on behind the scenes that they're not aware of. And, and I guess that's my main theme. And, and uh, I'm not sure I'm getting it across clearly. I'm looking at your faces. I'm not sure. I mean, you're saying, okay, we're, we're, I got a few more minutes to endure this and, and then we'll be done. But um, what I'm about to do is, is play for you guys a, a clip. It's about 10 minutes. It's a testimony it's actually a piece from our boot camps that we do. And it is a testimony of a man. And this is probably the thing that, that struck me, that got me walking down this path. It came to mind the other day, and I'm thinking that is such an amazing story about a man who lived a vast majority of his life desiring to be something that he felt that God called him to be but because of the things that were told him and his situations and, and, and life as it had, had worked out, he never believed he was that or could be that. And then, and then one day, it all got opened up to him, the truth of who he really is. And it's just absolutely amazing. And so, let's pay attention. I'm Not that I have to tell you to pay attention, you will. Listen to what Craig says, there's so much to his story, and then we'll finish up when he's done. There are turning points that change the trajectory of our life. And one of those turning points is to feel the heartbeat of God and to embrace what he has to say about you, to you personally. I grew up with the script of Seagull. Stepfather adopted me, I was too young to remember, gave me the name Barnard, Craig Barnard. He was the sea captain. And I lived um, just with self-contempt, shame, checked out, disengaged, godless, um, till 21 when I came to Christ, but it wasn't until I was 36 I went to counseling because my stuff, though I was a pastor and never had really any problems, 
on the outside and was good at telling people what to do. On the inside, I just couldn't keep it down. It was coming out. It was oozing out. It was hurting people, particularly my wife. The counseling began, and this counselor, in I think it was five minutes, it might have been two, but immediately uncovered this wound of my father's death. I had just totally um, erased that from my consciousness. And I can't tell you how much time I spent crying and aching. And it was as if, as a 36-year-old man, that I had just heard that my father, who was a good, intimate father, had just died. And I never knew him. He died when I was four months old in combat. But the grief and the pain was as if I lost my best friend, my father. And as I went through the counseling, I began to do some research on just my father and my family name. His name was McConnell. My mom never said a word about it. I found out my father um, died in this horrific um, battle in Korea. And... um, and I actually, just a few years ago, met a man that fought just down the line from him. And um, we talked for a couple of hours, and he just described this nine-day battle and the hell it was, and how brutal it was. And it was the last major battle in Korea, and um, he was killed on the last day of it. And... Um, and I found out what a warrior he was. <clears throat> and then I'm, I'm going on, and I'm finding out that, you know, gee, my grandma and grandpa were missionaries in Guatemala. Whoa, that's good to know that. Whoa. But dig deeper, and I find out my great-grandfather was the very first Protestant missionary to Central America. It was 1890, 91. And he was praying that God would take him somewhere where his life would make a difference. He was geared up to go to Africa, but by then he thought Africa had enough missionaries. And he wanted to go somewhere where no one had gone. So he goes to Costa Rica with a number of other men, most who died within a matter of months from yellow fever. And... um, I got a hold of his journals, and I read them. It was like I was reading the book of Acts. You know, him being threatened and the attempted times he was indigenous peoples and others were trying to kill him for preaching the gospel and how God preserved him and used him. I was blown away. I mean, I'm... I'm seagull stock. And then in um, 1991, a very good friend of mine was a, um, a missionary to Colombia, and um, he invited me to go down to Costa Rica for the first time because it was the 100-year celebration of the gospel coming to Costa Rica. So I go to go to San Jose, Costa Rica. And the football stadium is packed. 
of people worshiping God. And the big banners are thanking God for the apostle of Costa Rica, William McConnell. And I'm, I'm there and I'm realizing there's more to the story than I'm a seagull. Um, a lot could be said on the Costa Rica. I went there a couple of times and I was flying back up the spine of uh, Central America and there were just all these volcanoes and I, I, I was in a window seat and I just start bawling, crying, thinking, ah, oh, Lord, I would love to be a McConnell. And to you, that doesn't mean what it means to me, but it's like to be a McConnell. That's it. And I came back and I um, went through the process of changing my name from Craig Barnard to Craig McConnell. My kids are starting junior high. I am pastor, and I changed my name. And um, <laughs> all my wife's friends thought she had remarried another pastor <laughs> named Craig McConnell. Um, but um, legally changed the name, the whole family, we became McConnells in one, one legal one legal thing in court, and um, I can't tell you how it felt. It this fits. That's my name. Taking back my identity, who I was intended to be. Well, um, a couple of years later, um, John. I went to a retreat that John was hosting up in the mountains here in uh, Colorado, and. And he was sharing much of this, this message. And um, he had us go outside, and I mean, there was a small group of us. He said, go outside and ask God what he thinks of you, what your name is. So spent a long time out snowshoeing in deep snow, and I was in better shape then and did much better. Um, but I didn't hear anything. And, of course, you know where I went, not hear anything. Of course I don't hear anything. Everyone else does. I'm a seagull. I'm, I'm, I'm the guy that, you know, I, I'm just not going to hear from God. So I was really down because I knew I was going to go into a meeting and everyone was going to talk about what God said. And I hop in the shower and um, I just, uh, there's just some part of me just aching and longing for God to tell me and to speak, who are you? Now I'd already done the name change and everything, and the legal work, and, and there was something significant in changing my actual name. But there was still this ache. I hadn't heard from God. So I'm in the shower, and man, this may sound a little odd, but somewhere between this armpit and this one, God shows up. And there was enough room in that shower for the triune God in me. And in some unforgettable way, he said, Craig, you are a McConnell. And so it was more than just changing the name. It was hearing from God. Amen. May we each hear from him. Because what he has to say to you, 
you're standing at the door. What, you're going to invite me in? I'm wounded. I'm screwed up. I'm a wreck. I'm a convict. I'm dangerous. I can't read it, but it's yellow, and it says, it says I'm bad. And he's shocked that he's invited in. Take a look at me. And what's the bishop say? I know who you are. He follows his script. He's a thief. He, become, he steals. But God, in this wonderful way, shows up and redeems him, pays the full price, sets him free from these chains, and says, I've ransomed you to become a new man. I've ransomed you. He's making a reference to a clip from Les Mis, but um, I cannot... That story just pierces me. The fact that he lived all those years thinking this, and then, by God's grace, to find out, no, this is where you came from. This is who you are. This is the plan that I had. Yes, exactly, that thing that's been burning in you to do, that you think, oh no, you suck at it, you can't do it, because this is who you are. As he was told over and over growing up, you're just a seagull. You just sit and you squawk, and the other thing that they do, right? That's all you're good for. You have nothing to offer. And then to find out, no, great-grandpa lit the nation of Costa Rica on fire. And then my grandparents' father followed them. And then my dad was strong and, and a warrior. How did, for a man to lose that and to live not knowing that is tragedy. And so I don't, I don't know what it means except... Man, the whole idea, maybe it's, maybe what I'm saying is get with God and find out, hey, is there, is there something I don't know? Is there something you're trying to tell me? Is there parts of my life that, that I need you to speak into that I need filling in or I need um, or encouragement to be, you know, there's that thing, even when I didn't know what the right thing was in my life as a young man, there were certain things inside that kept saying, well, that's not right. And there were certain things that kept me saying, no, I, it's, I don't know why, but I need to keep kind of going in this direction. And it's the prompting of God to say, don't believe this. I know this is what you've been told. I know this is where you're situated, but don't believe that. There's more. There's more. And so I don't know if this is about losing heart. I don't know what it is, but I know it's about the fact that God is there and he's working. And if we can trust him, if we will seek him, if we will walk with him, it may not be as dramatic as that where you find out, you know, but I would love my family heritage as far as I know is a mess. I would love to dig back and find out that somebody really loved God and served him somewhere down the road and they just weren't all drunks and womanizers. I'd love to, to know that. But I'm okay with now the fact that, okay, I used to be a drunk and a womanizer, but I haven't been that in a long time, and so we were able to stop the line here. And so my grandchildren will be able to look back someday and say, I have a rich heritage. I have a rich heritage. But, and, and so, you know, it's, it's just amazing. And, you know, I have this picture in my office, and I realize as it sits there, 
that people could come in and look at it because they are definitely an older Italian couple. And they may look and say, hey, is that your mom and dad? And the answer to that is no. This is Bunny and March from Rome. Bunny's the guy. And, and when I took a job 35 years ago, bartending in their restaurant in Saratoga Springs, during the day I was filling time and trying to make some extra money because I was bartending in the club at night and they were down the street and they needed somebody for the daytime. But I went there to make money and I had no idea that by walking into that place that I was going to meet Jesus. And that he was going to change the direction of my life completely. And so if you don't get anything else, get the idea that when I said, yeah, I'll come, I'm looking to make some money, God said, oh, Joe, buddy, you have no idea. You have no clue what I'm about to do or what I want to do if you will just pay attention to me when you get there. Because it's the strangest thing when I tell people that I would be working and it's a slow time of the day and Bunny would come down and I'm just telling you that God's honest truth. He would sit on the other side of the bar and I would pour him a snifter of Grand Marnier and he would open the Bible and tell me about Christ. However strange that sounds to you, that's what happened. And as, as a kid, a Catholic kid thinking, man, I've already messed up so bad, and then to find out that, no, Jesus wants to have this relationship with me and it has nothing to do with what I've done and he can fix all that. And now to see 35 years later where he's taken me, it just blows my mind. It's almost as good as that. I mean, it really is to me as good as that. But I just think, what has he got going on that we have no idea about? And if that does nothing but lift you up to say, okay, I'm not, I'm, I'm not at the end of my road. Uh, it, I'm not stuck. I'm not, I may feel like I'm stuck. I'm not finished. He's not done with me. There's more happening. And to press into that and it begins to fill you again, then I have scored today. If I can encourage you, if God can encourage you to press on into whatever it has, because I've realized this too, and then we'll leave it only takes, it's one moment, right? It's one moment and everything changes. Father, thank you for these men again and thank you for Craig and his testimony and his life and thank you for what you have done and thank you for what you are doing and thank you for what you want to do. Oh, may we walk and figure that out. May we walk with you each moment and figure that out and, and stop us from the craziness of trying to plan it all out and then the discouragement and all the stuff that comes with that because things don't go the way we plan. Please help us to calm down and take a breath and to trust you and to realize that if we'll walk step by step that you have something absolutely amazing for us. We love you. We so need you. And help us to remember that and fill our hearts with joy and peace and encouragement now. Not just for this day, but for the days in front of us. 
Jesus, in your name, amen. Thank you.